to the Parental Advisory Movie Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Hall, and with me, as always, my outstanding co-host. Patrick Terry. There we go. Second time's a charm. <laughs> Happy November, my friend. We are on the second day. Officially in holiday season. Um, a lot of folks are already going into Christmas, except for the three days of Thanksgiving, then back to Christmas. Bruh, I would just driving into work the other day. On October 30th, two days left of October, and there's one of those electronic billboards with a, a holiday Sprite commercial or Sprite ad. Yeah. And all I could think, as I filled with rage, was just to flip it off. <laughs> That's the <laughs> most I could do. Yeah. Except just get more mad about it. And then, <laughs> and then yet, then sure enough, on Halloween. They couldn't even take it down for a day. It, it's there as a reminder again as I'm driving in, and I again flipped it off, and I'm just uh, I don't I don't know what to do with myself. Yeah, folks are ready for Christmas even before Halloween. I'm like, let, let's get through that first. Let's 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 do that. They're called sociopaths, Patrick. That's okay. They're called. <laughs> That's they're the called word. Sociopaths. Okay. That's the word you're looking for. Sociopaths. Okay. okay. Um, they're building one of those god awful. Um, year-round christmas stores mm-hmm. oh. here in town okay. yeah it's i mean i wouldn't expect anything less than from this place but um but yeah year-round christmas store i see it making money four months out of the year maybe i don't know they, i mean i know they exist yeah and i know people you know there must be a market for it i don't know Otherwise, they wouldn't build a store. I guess so. I don't know. No. For me, now, here's the funny thing. It's no secret that in, you know, for those that know me, Christmas is not my favorite holiday. We just celebrated my favorite holiday, which is Halloween. Yeah. Um, Christmas, I pretty much put up with because I have a family. Because <laughs> I have kids. If I yeah. didn't have kids, I would. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean. Pretty much. Don't care. Don't. It's about getting together with family. No, that's Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. Technically, yeah, it should be it's... every day. Yeah. yeah. And then the only thing that gets me... Christmas story is the only thing that gets me excited about Christmas now. Watching that. Even just... though I could watch it year-round, but it's yeah, just... Yeah. But still, it's just perfect. Because I've been watching it since... Shoot. I guess... Eight or nine. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, probably the same. And yeah. yeah, I just hmm. I mean I used to volunteer to work on Christmas. Like I would you know, for others that did have families that actually liked Christmas, I would volunteer to work for them. Yeah. Because you get that holiday pay and you know. Yeah. Might as well. Perks. Perks. Yeah, might as well. I mean <laughs> Yeah. Uh anyways. <laughs> Let's try and get through the election first, which is tomorrow because we're recording on Monday. Let's try and get yeah. through the election first. Then, let's see, um, D-Day is the 7th, I believe. Veterans Day is the 11th. And then um, then we have Thanksgiving. And then you can, then Christmas, sure. I mean, I've got York's birthday on the 3rd. Yeah. Or December 3rd, so... So I'll have that, and then his mom's birthday is the 18th. And then 
will be ready for Christmas. I have a niece's birthdays at November 24th. So. Okay. And then we we are finally done with birthdays again until February. <laughs> at least not. <laughs> my sister-in-law's birthdays in February. So. Um. But yeah, man. Uh. Otherwise, good week. <laughs> yeah. Pretty good week. Cool. Not much going on. Just keeping it simple. Yep. Uh. Yeah. Fast and Furious update. We are 10 minutes away from finishing Furious 7. We ran out of time last Monday. Um, we tried watching part of it yesterday while we played Uno. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we were only got like, we're just in that final fight scene. So we're just, The Rock's already busted out of his cast. Yeah. You know, uh, Statham, and, Statham and Diesel are fighting with car parts. <laughs> Yeah. Oh wait, uh, take that back. The uh, garage had just caved in a little bit, so he'd already fallen through. So that's kind of where we're at. Uh, the Rock showed up with his gun from a helicopter or whatever, and he's trying to take down another helicopter, shooting it down as he's walking right. down the street with no other cars around in Los Angeles, because that's what we do. Yeah. It's always amazing um, how there's never anybody around when all this stuff is happening. Right. Citizens just all synchronizing. Hey, let's go in the house. <laughs> It's Los, and it's Los Angeles. So like, eh, you know, there's nobody yeah. ever around in downtown Los Angeles, right? <laughs> oh mercy! Movie logic. Yeah, God bless them. I love those movies. Um, so yeah, we're gonna try and get to Faded the Furious today, and then I guess next week will be uh, Hobbs and Shaw. And then if he wants to, we'll go back and watch one through four. So. Yeah. Cool. Uh, it is kind of funny because um, both Vin Diesel and The Rock are both ball-headed, and um, they're both ball-headed. So it's they're get you know they'll get uh, my son will get the two of them confused. <laughs> I'm like, well, bro, one's got facial hair and it's like six foot four and built like a chip break house. A that's the rock. other one. I said the other one's that's in the other one's Vin Diesel. That's like my height, and I mean he's still pretty fit, but I said just think of this. Think of it this way. I said Dom is Groot and Hobbs is Black Adam. That's the best way you can help kind of try and remember that. Or Jumanji. Yeah. (laughs) What is Jumanji? Um, It's got a goatee and one does not. Yeah. Pretty much. So, anyway, so that's been fun watching that with him. Um, No family movie night this week? Trying to remember what we did. I remember we didn't watch a movie, though. Because I don't remember watching one. We were going to try and watch Beetlejuice, uh-huh. and couldn't find anywhere. Really? <laughs> watch? Yeah, I checked everywhere. Unless I want, we wanted to rent it. Um, I honestly don't remember what we watched, but I'm sure it was Halloween. Halloween we related. I tried to put my vote in to watch the movie Halloween, and sadly I was outvoted because apparently a apparently it's not suitable for a almost ten year old and a Six-year-old. <laughs> Man, it's not a lot of on-screen stuff until the yeah. end. <laughs> exactly. But yeah. But yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of disappointed in myself because I didn't watch a lot of classic Halloween movies. Yeah. So I'm like, man. But I did start kind of watching uh, Nightmare on Elm Street on Friday before shift. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I didn't watch any traditional stuff. I'm kind of <laughs> upset with myself. <laughs> well, I did watch... Um, from... So... Now, I have From Dust Till Dawn on DVD. Hell, I have Beetlejuice on DVD. I just 
Hallway. I got yeah, and then so I did one. So I found from Dust Till Dawn streaming. It was on Hulu, but it's the AMC version. So it's like all edited and you know frickins and you know yeah, all you know substituting words like lollipop for curse words or whatever. It's not. That's not fun. Shut your face. Yeah. What are you talking? About? Um, it only mother, mother lover. <laughs> yeah, mother lover. Yeah, I mean, it only helps Tarantino's dialogue because, God, I, for as much as I watched that movie, I don't even remember why I started watching that every Halloween, but I mm-hmm. did, and it's weird how much, because I used to when I first saw it, I thought it was stupid, like I didn't quite. It was like it started one way and then immediately went off the rails, mm-hmm. and it stayed off the rails. But I think I was taking it too seriously, and that's why I didn't like it as much. Um, and, I mean, I think everybody is agree- in agreement that Tarantino's a great director, but he is one of the worst actors. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, one of the worst actors. Yeah. And, yeah. So I, <laughs> and yet here I am still watching this. I'm like, ugh. But it's like, is he going to tell himself not to act? No. Nah. Nope. <laughs> No, which is crazy, but you know, whatever. Um, so yeah, so I did get to. I watched part of it, and then I kind of got tired of the edited version, so I right. should turn that off. And what the hell did I put on? Oh, I put on White Noise. Uh, yeah, I was texting you about. Um, yeah, I watched White Noise with Michael Keaton because I hadn't watched it in forever in a day. It came out in two thousand and five, I believe, and it's basically about. Michael Keaton's character loses his wife and child. No, loses his wife who's pregnant um, in a car accident. And he has a hard time with the grieving process. And through meeting somebody, discovers that he can essentially listen to her or other people's voices through like just static, more or less. Yeah, static on the radio, static on the TV. They can communicate, or the dead can communicate through that white noise. Yeah. Now, what the movie's not super great. I mean, it's entertaining enough. I enjoyed it when I saw it in theater. Um, I may have watched it one other time since then, but I mean, it's been 15 years. Um, right. I don't even remember why it popped in my head to watch it, but I was like, oh yeah, I remember liking that movie. But it's what. Get, you know what kind of the movie's not necessarily scary itself it's after you get done watching the movie and you actually start looking up videos of this on the internet like mm-hmm. uh, the most famous thing is like the Krupp's coffee makers and okay. somehow there's videos of that where you hear people's voices or whatever coming through stuff like that and people have recorded audio and Things like that. Of this, I mean, this is actually a thing going on, and like, has been for a while. So, like, you can look up on YouTube and find it now. This is before YouTube was even around, right. um, or was very, very new at, at the very least. And it's the research into the subject matter about that was far more fascinating than the movie itself. I'm not right. saying the movie's bad, but I, I mean, because I enjoyed it. But it's, yeah. So I enjoyed watching that uh, for my Halloween movie since From Dusk Till Dawn was not streaming, except for the edited version. 
anyways um yeah man so that's that was our halloween week we did trick-or-treat kids uh had an amazing time york and his uh link from legend of zelda costume and um and grayson and her ladybug from the disney show miraculous and yeah it was great we everybody masked up we went out and almost i would say anywhere between 90 and 95 percent of houses that had candy had Mm -hmm. them on tables some of them were even pre-packaged yeah they had like little Little uh, baggies like little baggy gift baggy baggies of like four pieces of candy or some other stuff Um, one house even had options it was either candy or non-candy so you can choose if you want a candy or non-candy which is like little like activity things or whatever yeah the halloween theme it was great and they had an amazing time i mean they probably brought him more candy this year than they have in the past in the past two years combined like it was it's ridiculous how heavy these bags are i've been meaning to weigh him yeah but then we'll never get through it even with we'll end up taking it to work all right now calling it right now yeah (laughs) yeah it's ridiculous but everybody had a great time that's good all right, we ready? Let's go. Rock All right. and roll. All right. So you watched uh you watched the pandemic documentary, right? Yes. All right, so I did. We, all right, so we can talk about this one together then. We kind of been holding off on doing this one because my goal is still to get to try and reach out to the director, but I know he's probably doing press stuff, plus I know a lot of people really aren't wanting to do interviews right now up in you know, until after probably until the election's over. Yeah. That's kind of where the brain's at, which I don't, I perfectly understand. And so I've kind of been holding off. I'm still going to try and reach out and see if we can get, even if it's like a 10, 20 minute interview, I'd be happy with that. But just talk to him about his body of work. Um, anyways, uh, we're going to be talking about the Hulu documentary, Totally Under Control, directed by acclaimed um, documentarian, Alex Gibney. The movie has actually grossed $1,465 in theaters. Um, It came out on October the 13th and uh, has a runtime of, excuse me, has a runtime of two hours and three minutes. It doesn't, to me, it didn't feel like it was that long. No, Man, well, I kind of so I kind of broke it up because I watched just, some of it um, during break of work and then finished up at home. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so uh, for anybody that hasn't watched it or doesn't know much about it, it's uh, the documentaries about um, the pandemic that we are all living through right now. <laughs> it's an in-depth look at how the United States government handled the response to, co- to the COVID-19 outbreak during the early months of the pandemic. So it was now Alex Gibney did not solely direct this. It's him, Ophelia, oh Lord, Haruta Yanyan. Yeah, there you go. I said it that time. And uh, <laughs> Susan Hillinger uh, were the three directors. It was written by. Um, it was written by Alex Gibney, and uh, I would say stars, but it's a documentary. It stars, right. it stars um, 
a lot of politicians or a few politicians it basically has oh interview scientists doctors i mean it's every it, yeah so what they did was in the early months of the pandemic in the pandemic in march and april they uh, uh alice gibney came up with the idea to start filming this pandemic and get as much information out there as possible and interview as many people safely as they can. So one of my favorite parts of this documentary is not necessarily the subject material because it's fun about talking about a pandemic. However, what I loved was how they set up, how they were able to essentially film a movie, film a documentary, because most documentaries are talking to people Mm -hmm. in, in an interview setting. And it's not through Zoom. It's, you know, on an, using an actual camera. That was the ingenious of what they went through to set up so they could safely interview people. Right. So they set up, like, blankets and tarps around, you know, they set it up in a room, uh, set up blankets and tarps around the camera, and had, like, a microphone sticking out through some plastic or whatever. And then they had a seat where whoever they were interviewing would you know would sit and you know when they came in to sit and interview you saw them take their mask off and then when they were done you know they would put it back on and so but the documentarians were not in the room they were you know either in another room or shoot in another state even because they were doing it remotely right so the only people that were in the room while filming were the interviewees interview yeah that's the word were they <laughs> sure i got that right were the interviewees and so they were able to safely film a movie during the early stages of a pandemic with and as we've all learned by you know by now um going i guess this is our eighth month going into our eighth month of this yeah um you know Things have changed. Protocols have changed because we've learned more and we've, you know, scientists have learned more through research what needs to be done. And the way they were able to film this and set everything up early on, you know, is just, uh, to me, it was really amazing how they were able to do it. Right. And then come up with the questions, interview people working on, you know, working either uh, researchers or doctors in the hospitals mm-hmm. and like senior officials that are no longer there right. for one reason or another. <laughs> yeah. I'll guess which one. Um, and they just put the facts out there. They're not the, what I enjoyed most about this specific documentary. And I've, when I've talked to people about, you know, having watched this movie, they ask, well, you know, what basically what, you know, what is it and what is it? You know, why do you like it? Yeah. And I said, well, the, one of the things I like most about this documentary is that when you watch, there are some documentaries that have an obvious lean to it. Like there is some sort of, um, I'm trying to think of the word, not spin, but they have, they have, you know, basically their lean on what, what they want to get their message you know, to get across. Right. The, the best way I was able to put it is 
um, if you take like a Michael Moore movie, Michael Moore document documentary, it's gonna have an more than obvious and almost beating you over the beating you over the head. Um, liberal leftist lean to it. Okay. Um, like it's he'll put facts out there, but he's still it's still kind of it's a bit much. It's his older documentaries were better than his, his to me in my opinion were some of his best. His newer one. His more recent ones just seem a bit much, even <laughs> even for me. And so I've actually not watched. You know, I, I just like ugh. I I fully respect him. I love what he's what he has done. But there's a point where even I'm like, this is you know, I would like to see more facts and more data right. in a documentary than just your take. Right. If that makes sense. So what this documentary does great at is not doing that. <laughs> It does, or let me rephrase that. It's not doing what Michael Moore does. Um, what this documentary does great is asking very thoughtful questions and getting, you know, real answers and not just, well, take this guy's word for it or take this doctor's, you know, man or woman, um, take their word for it. They have, they, it's like, here's the, basically, here's the receipts. Right. From these emails that we were communicating with. Yeah. And so it's not a spin per se. It is basically just perspective. Like this is what's going on. This is, these are the facts. This is the information that they knew ahead of time. We're just putting this out there because nobody else, where you want to say main, I hate saying mainstream media because that's just stupid. All media is mainstream unless it's local news. So the, you're, they're putting out more information than what's being covered in the news that's presented no matter what station, you know, what, what your, where you get your news. Yeah. They're just, it's a, because that's the sign of a good documentary is not to show a side. It's, right. it's to show a, basically like a history lesson. Like this is what we've gone through. This is what was done. This probably is what could have been done better. Right. Um, and so that's from a, movie documentary look at it that's you know to me the facts yeah it's not you know this isn't me trying to influence your opinion one way or another this is just me trying to talk about what the movie talks about and to throw out you know it will make you mad i don't care what your view is this movie will make you mad it's not a feel-good movie (laughs) no it's just it's just one of those and especially if you work in healthcare. Yeah, because I mean, you just sit there, you're watching, and I like had a couple of where I literally was like mouth drop, like wow, like you know the way it was handled and the way it was presented, you know, like it's presented like oh we're doing this doing that, but then really no. it wasn't, you know the pers- the the pers- well what's the word the um, I guess what was being shown on the surface wasn't really what was going on behind the scenes, right. and um. It's just an eye opener, <laughs> you know. Like if it was something you weren't aware of, it 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 was just about stating facts that weren't presented and just they remained neutral. They weren't like, oh, this is just, oh, they're just bad, bad, bad. No, it's, it it would give you information, then give you data behind it, just to kind of, yeah. you know, like you said, just giving you the the facts behind it, not just stating, oh, this administration's horrible or whatever. But yeah, yeah. 
and they're not they're not the, biased, I guess. Right. And the doctors that are talking are doctors that are work that are ER doctors mm-hmm. working in hospitals trying to treat patients with with COVID and trying to do the best they can with the materials that they are given. Right. And you know, they're trying to save lives and you know, meanwhile they have others that are trying to basically say, you know, well, they're inflating the numbers because they get paid to do, you know, they're getting paid for it, which is, yeah. which is the most ridiculous thing in the world. Um, my wife actually watched this one, which she didn't watch it with me because I'd already seen it. Um, I was at work. She was watching her on her day off and texting me about how mad she was getting watching it. Um, she's a lot more vocal than I am. Um, <laughs> but, you know, one of the things that I, you know, that I found, which I already knew ahead of time, and I really don't think enough people know this. Is that in you know in 2016, one of the people they interviewed, Beth Cameron, who was the senior director for global health security and biodefense at the National Security Council, uh, her and her team put together a 69-page briefing on how the federal government can coordinate its response to a pandemic. Um, but the report was intended to allow people in the White House and to ask questions: um, What should we do? And also, what are what do we need to do to get ahead so that what we're so that we're not constantly reacting. You know, it's called right. being proactive as opposed to being reactive. Um, right. So, uh, and she, what she stated was that, uh, she stated that the administration did not use the playbook. Um, and then in 2018, the National Security Advisor at the time, John Bolton, disbanded the global health security and biodefense team. And that's kind of one way who's, and their sole job is to predict pandemics. Like that's their whole job is to predict like when an outbreak occurs or may occur because they see spiking, you know, they see spiking cases around around the around the globe, and then how to. It was like okay, what do we have, you know, in case, in case this comes over here, what is our plan? And then right. they would have a plan, you know, they develop and have a plan, and then they basically get disbanded so would have been kind of nice to have about now or right eight months ago or correct it's funny because i know my friend and i were sharing videos when this was started in wuhan you know the story there was like oh people are eating bats it's these mukbang videos where people are eating all these foreign foods yeah. and you know but it, it's just weird because this was december 2019 and then oh, wow. and then um come february it starts Hidden here, I'm like, wow. <laughs> oh, every time I think, every time I used to think, you know, uh, I guess something would spike up overseas, mm-hmm. and I would, you know, I would either see or read about it. I would, the first thing I think of is uh, Soderbergh's movie, The uh, Contagion. That movie scared the shit out of me when I first watched it. I was, I had never been so anxiety stricken coming out of a movie than I'd had after watching that movie. And then, and at the end, it shows, you know, how it started. It started with a bad, you know, sh- shitting in the pig feed, pigs eating it, the pigs then uh, getting slaughtered and then sent to the restaurant. And then somebody eats at said restaurant in China and then, and then gets on a plane and then gets sick and then comes back here. And yeah. Uh, something, something anxiety ridden movie. <laughs> Right. I we've been said movie, and I hate Soderbergh for it. 
No, but that movie still is one of his best. Um, Yeah, so... And then, you know, it goes into talking about how uh, in February, the administration created the CS China COVID procurement service, partly uh, to encourage American producers like 3M to sell their inventories of N95 masks to China. A month later, when hospitals desperately needed the masks, they were forced to import them, paying up to 10 times what American producers would have charged. And then it goes into talking to one of those small businesses that ran a factory making masks. And about how he, before the virus even hit over here, tried to uh, get the government to give him more money so he can produce more masks, so he can get them dispersed out to you know the hospitals that need it and everything. Right. And they weren't listening, and like he would get <clears throat> he would get phone calls from families, not businesses, about how they needed masks and stuff like that. And you know he it showed him kind of getting choked up during this hearing about how he couldn't help because he just didn't have he just didn't have the you know the manpower Um, but it's it is a heartbreaking movie to be sure but it is very informative and um i guess uh timely is is kind of a uh understatement yeah well it's the understatement of all 2020 maybe um But if you haven't watched it, you really should. I mean, it's just, if not for, you know, again, no matter where you are on this issue, which everybody, you know, it's a, it's not a political movie. It's a public health movie because that's what it's about. It's not about trying to choose sides over, you know, who's right, wrong, or indifferent. It's, it's a public health movie because we're in, it's because this is a public health crisis and it really kind of tries to do as you know it in my opinion at least it does a really good job staying neutral in that respect of yeah. we're making a public health movie we're not making a political movie and i think sometimes you know and i think sometimes <laughs> with that's where that's how this you know to me that's how this movie differs from like a michael moore movie these are maybe have other issues, but they're definitely more political movies than they are anything else. Um, but uh, but this one, not you know, this one's straight, just neutral facts. Just, this just is to, important. Please, yeah. please just to give just to give information. Like yeah. this is information that's not available. Boom. <laughs> there you go. Draw your own conclusions as you should with most most things you watch, anyways. Right. <clears throat> so that, um, and I watched that couple. I think you and I both watched that a couple weeks ago, and I said, "Let's hold off, see if I can get, you know, get him on." And but I was like, you know what? We could still talk about other movies because I've gone on a. Uh, I printed off his filmography as a director because he mm-hmm. also produces movies as well. And I've actually got a couple I need to highlight that I've now watched. Um. <clears throat> But if anybody had watched uh, on had watched on it, I believe it was HBO that did it. The sign, uh, going clear at Scientology in the in the Prison of Belief from 2015. He directed that one. He also directed Steve Jobs, The Man in the Machine, came out the same year. Uh, just recently, 
believe it was for Showtime, maybe. Uh, Enemies, colon, The President, Justice, and the FBI 2018 TV series documentary episode, You're Fired. Um, but it chronicles, it's like one of four episodes <coughs> showing the history between uh, between presidents and the FBI. And it goes Clinton, Reagan, Nixon, and I forgot who else. But there's It doesn't focus on one central president. It just shows just how various administrations have dealt with their spats <laughs> with the FBI um, over the course of time. <coughs> and then... Uh, on HBO too, uh, or I mean as well, uh, the inventor out for blood in Silicon Valley about the lady that tried to say that she had a way to test people's blood in this like weird new way in this tiny little machine that's yeah. about as big as a printer. <clears throat> oh, and discovered that it was a lie that she never could get it to work. She was actually using other centrifuges and stuff to do most of the samples. <coughs> That was pretty. That was a pretty good look at. Uh, I, I like that one. And then the movie earlier that I talked a few weeks back, Agents of Chaos. Um, he directed that one as well. So let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. I've watched eight. I think I've counted now. Nope, nine. I also watched Zero Days too. Nine, possibly more out of the fifty-three documentary credits that he has. That's um, a lot. That is a ton. Um, he's also uh, done a lot of music documentaries too. Uh, he did one on Hunter S. Thompson, um, and then I think he's done one on uh, shoot, where am I? I'm drawing a blank here. James Brown, I know, and I think the Rolling Stones. Uh, so yeah, three. He even did one on Three Doors Down. <laughs> I mean, that was from actually that's from 2005. Um. But yeah, in various different, various different uh, subject matter. So he doesn't stay in like one lane right. as, as to what type of film he uh, or what type of subject matter. Uh, it's very, it's uh, pretty varied. So I would definitely recommend watching any of his stuff because you'll never be bored watching one of his documentaries. As I have come to find out in the past <laughs> week and a half of kind of binging as many as I can find. Um, so speaking of documentaries, <laughs> I've watched so many documentaries that Ruth has said, oh, wow, you've watched a what documentary? You don't say. Wow. No kidding. You must feel <laughs> you must feel so superior or something like that. I don't know. It's some kind of smart-ass thing that she likes doing now, which is cracking me up. Um, so I came across, because I like going on iTunes just to find out what's recently been released or other movies that you may like or stuff like that and i came across a documentary i feel like i should have been more aware of and i wasn't but um anyways it's called uh, wolfman's got nards so i'm like what in the world and i don't know why this didn't like click in my head right away mm-hmm. but i looked it up watched the trailer it then went Oh my God, I need to go holler at two dollar wait fee because they'll they'll love this. And my response back from them was, "Yeah, man, that's awesome. We're interviewing the director. Um, they'll be out Sunday." I'm like, "Oh, awesome! I'm gonna watch the. I was already planning on watching the documentary. We're gonna talk about it as well." So I said, "You know what? You, um, 
it's like I'll talk about um, the documentary, my thoughts about it, and then we'll recommend everybody to listen to your your episode where you interview the director slash star of the film or one of the stars of the film, and it'll be a perfect companion piece. So, right. Um, so I rented this on iTunes, and uh, it uh, it's an hour and thirty one minutes long. It definitely doesn't feel like it. It's to say this movie's just so this movie is based on this is a documentary about the cold eighties classic The Monster Squad. If you remember that growing up. Um I do because movies where the main characters are kids and they're having to fight off the universal monsters. Which are Dracula, Wolfman, Frankenstein, the Mummy, and Creature from the Black Hole again. Okay. But in this movie, other than Dracula, they all have like different names uh we uh and uh they uh this it was a bomb like the movie was a bomb when it originally came out and just not a lot of people came and watched it because two weeks so it instead um and it was, yeah, it was like a total bomb. And then now, like, 30 years later, it's become, like, a cult classic. Right. And so they go, you know, it's just been a huge resurgence because all the kids that watched it either, you know, renting it from the video store like I did, I still don't remember whether I saw it in theater or whether I rented it at the video store. Right. Um, and so uh, and so a lot of people watched it that way or watched it when it came on HBO. Like a lot of kids watched it when they came, you know, or got exposed to it when it came on HBO, and then they just watched it over and over and over. Right. And so, of course, you know, it's hard to gauge. They didn't have like what they have now with Netflix where they can talk, you know, calculate views and how many times you've watched a specific movie. Um, but yeah, so this movie uh, was directed by Andre Gower and written by Andre Gower. And uh, the Monster Squad, he was one of the original, he was one of the characters from the Monster Squad. Um, and the movie chronicle, or the documentary chronicles basically the movie, like how it got started, uh, all the way from like concept to writing the script to making the movie. So the Monster Squad was originally written by a very, uh, very famous 80s director. Um, well, I guess co-written, I guess is a good way to put that. Um, it was written by Fred Decker, who also wrote it with his film, you know, a guy in his film school at the time, Shane Black, who directed Lethal Weapon, wrote and directed Lethal Weapon, or sorry, wrote Lethal Weapon, he didn't direct it, um, wrote uh, Lethal Weapon, it became a huge success. After the monster, after he helped ride the monster squad, so essentially Fred Decker wrote it and then had Shane Black read it and then they made some changes to it, so kind of punch it up and everything. Um, so Andre Gower played Sean in the monster squad, and then uh, but what's great is that uh, they interviewed a lot of people, a lot of the uh, actors from the movie as well as people that worked on the movie either in the creature outfits 
Um, like they interviewed Ryan Lambert, who played Rudy, Ashley Bank, who played Phoebe, um, as well as uh, trying to think here. I'm drawing a blank now. Um, but what they did, what what they did great with this documentary is just giving you a hundred percent pure nostalgia for the film. Okay. They interviewed because they also interviewed people that had grown up with this. They interviewed one guy that had a version of the Monster Squad from various different countries, like on VHS. Like it, like they showed he, they showed his shelf that had a copy of the movie from different countries. Wow. I was like, that's um, that's impressive. I'm I was actually impressed. You know, I was like, all right, man, I'm impressed with that. There's some people that had like memorabilia that's like all over. One guy set up his garage um, as if it were going to be as if it would would have been a place that the characters from the Monster Squad would have hung out in. Mm-hmm. It was great, and it shows you know it also um, it also the documentary also interviews like Seth Green, um, Adam F Goldberg who created the TV show The Goldbergs. Uh, Interviewed Heather Langenkamp from Nightmare on Elm Street, um, and then like Adam Green, Joe Lynch. I mean, all kinds of people that had that had uh, that were influenced from this movie had some sort of influence growing up watching this movie that helped influence their career. You know how they how they proceed in their career. It's just a fun movie. I mean, it's just the best way I can just say is that. The movie will just wrap you up in a warm blanket of nostalgia. <laughs> Not only for okay. this movie, but for the way movies were made back then. And one of the best questions that, because they did a, like an Alamo Draft House tour where they'd show the film, do like question and answer thing. Mm-hmm. One of the best questions that um, I heard them ask, and I think should probably be asked for like a lot of directors that you know made movies 10, 20, 30 years ago. If you were to remake your movie right now, what would you change from it? And they said that one of the things that they would change is that they there's a lot of culturally insensitive, I guess, uh, language in it. Because it was the 80s, so it's back when kids would call other kids fags and retards, which obviously is not appropriate. But growing up in the 80s, as you and I both did, yeah. we didn't know that. And they would pick on the fat kid, hey, fatty, you know, just, um, you know, body shaming and stuff like that. So they said they would take, all, you know, they would take that out because it's not appropriate. And um, that the younger sister would be the, basically the protagonist. It would be like the weed, like, hey, she would be the one convincing everybody else that, you know, monsters are real and that they need to go fight them. So they would have the younger sister um be the kind of voice of reason and say hey y'all need to get on board and then be the leader i was like you know what that's amazing i mean yeah all those things and that's something i would uh you know if we were to uh, ask people that's what i would probably you know that wouldn't be a bad thing it's like hey the movie's like 20 30 years old you know is there anything there that you would do different than you know or I mean, because it is one of those things when you watch movies like that, that are, you know, that have aged, (laughs) Um, maybe not aged well, but it's because we as a society have 
evolved and so obviously movies are going to be dated because yeah that it's yeah it's it's a capsule of time i mean it's good better different good better and different that's yeah because i noticed that when we were when i was watching the original bill and ted movies there was that word that they were using i was like hmm but it didn't make it into the new one so i'm like Right. So I was wondering if they were going to do that, like how much were they going to pay homage to the characters right. then, but they couldn't do that now. Yeah. Different times. Different time. And that's, and you want that from your movie. I mean, yeah. you want that from, because <clears throat> you don't want things to be, like when I watch old Doris Day, Rock Hudson movies, stuff like that, it, there's a lot of cringy stuff in there because of relationship dynamics, mm-hmm. because of the way women were treated back in the 50s. I mean, be completely you know would be different now than it was then right. so it's kind of cringy but you have to look through it through the lens of that time period yep and you really don't want it to change because you want it to be a capsule of time of you know hey this is the way things were look how we've look how far we've gotten you know yeah. <laughs> how, right. how far we've progressed and that's what you want is to see this progression and be able to point out to people hey this is the way to do things now that's why this, you know, back then it, we didn't know, and but this is what we've learned as we as a society have evolved and gotten more aware of things. I guess is a good way to put it. So I can't recommend this one enough. Um, if you're a fan of the Monster Squad, you should definitely, definitely seek this movie out. It's on VOD, um, and you know, and check it out. If you haven't seen the Monster Squad, oh my God. I believe it's on Amazon Prime. I think I saw it was on. It's on either Prime or Hulu. Um, um, it's on uh, IMDb TV. So if you got the IMDb TV, IMDb app, you can watch it through that. Boom! There free. you go. There you go. I don't. I don't recall if I've seen it or not, but mm. but um, I'm definitely gonna try and check it out. I've got it on DVD. Like yeah. I, I remember York and I watched it. We didn't watch it last year. We watched it the year before. Mm-hmm. And he liked it. Okay. Um, but yeah, there was stuff that I was like, "Ooh, I forgot about that part." Oh, yeah. whoops. Yep. Wolfman's got nards. So, <laughs> what are nards? I, I think I did have to explain that. Like, yeah. Uh, about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, um, if you haven't watched it, watch The Monster Squad and then go rent this documentary and watch the documentary. And then, after you've done both of those things, go and listen to $2 Late Fee's interview with um, star of the, well, one of the stars in the movie and the director of this documentary. So, so yay, high praise. Um, yeah, definitely check this, check it out though. It's it's good. I, it it just yeah, it just gave me all the all good feels. Um, cool. Yep, I think that's it, man. Take your turn. Uh, that's all you got. Yeah, I think so, man. All right. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> I mean, you, I know I didn't know what all you were gonna cover because I know you watched a lot, a lot more than I did. I'm only covering two. Save it for next week if we need to. Okay. Uh, so, first movie I'm going to talk about is, on Netflix, the movie His House, which came out October 30th, okay. or Rocktober 30th. There you go. Show respect. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, it's an hour and 33 minutes. The director is Remy Weeks, and has a budget that I was able to find of $10 million, so it's that okay. good little horror suspense budget. Well, you said ten million. Yeah, ten million. That's what I was able to find. Okay, yeah. that's kind of high, actually. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> okay. All right. So, yep, 10 mil. Um, starring. Good luck. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Wonmi Musaku as Rayal. And I swear, like, I looked up this, the second actor's name. And I, I swear he says it like SH, but uh, like uh, Shope Durasu. Yeah. Shope Durasu. Yeah. Plays Bowl. And another star, uh, Matt Smith, plays Mark. Oh. Uh, I said, oh, the doctor, or at least a doctor. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the two lead actors, uh, Wami Masaku, um, she's in Love Lovecraft Country. Yep. Which I didn't know until after watching this. Okay. And then Dirisu, he's also in... Um, Ooh, I don't want to get it wrong what else he's been in, but they're 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 prominent actors that have been in other projects that are either currently or going on. Uh, His Dark Materials, um The Huntsman's War. Yeah. Get some things of one. Yeah. That's one of the main ones that popped up. Um <clears throat> but basically this follows a refugee com- couple that make their escape from war-torn South Sudan and then struggle to adjust to the new life in an English town that has an evil lurking beneath the surface. Um, <clears throat> so, Bo and Rial, they flee with their daughter. And when they cross the Mediterranean stormy waters and on an overcrowded boat, along with the... Um, along with others, in search of uh, living in Europe for a better life. So these two survive, but their daughter and a few others don't. And they have to live in a detention center. But after three months, they're granted temporary asylum by the government. Uh, They will receive financial assistance, but they cannot seek other employment to compensate for more. They just got to accept what the government gives them money-wise. And they must live in this housing of the government's choosing. Uh, and they cannot move. They've got to stay there. And then they also have to go through, uh, they have to meet certain conditions. And they can't fail even once. Otherwise, they'll be sent back and, you know, have to return home. Uh, <laughs> so as they're trying to adjust, uh, Bo is doing a better job of trying to assimilate. Like he goes to the store and then while he's standing outside of this uh, bar, he gets called in because they have some, I guess, uh, a box of goodies for them since they're refugees. And while he's inside, they're watching soccer and, you know, the, the, the crowd, they're cheering and they're singing a, a song. And so he just kind of chimes in and starts singing with them just to kind of try to fit in. Mm-hmm. And and then he even tries wearing the appropriate clothing uh, eating with utensils instead of using their hands and just doing whatever it takes to prove that they belong where they are so they don't get yeah. sent home. But his wife, Rial, she's instead sticking to the culture. She holds on to and wears the daughter's necklace and she wears clothes similar in style and color to what she would wear back home. And mm-hmm. instead of eating at a table, she'd rather you know have all the plates and everything on the floor and again, using their hands. But over time, they start experiencing strange happenings in the home. They start to hear humming uh, and whispers and sounds of something or someone lurking in the walls. 
And they both even start having visions of their daughter. And then Bo, he even has visions of their experience at sea. Like, he, there's actually, like, visuals of him in, like, dark waters, sea storms. Like, it's got some good visuals for that. Um, but then again, he starts seeing images and people. Uh, when they get to the house, the electricity's out. So when it gets dark, you know, there's they have no lighting. So that really kind of um, freaks them out more because all this stuff is happening. They can't really see what's going on. So he goes as far as to actually fix the electric wiring himself so they can have lights. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. And then also a mysterious man appears who always escapes into the walls. But this always happens when the lights are out. Whenever you turn the lights on, whatever was there is gone. And I mean, it's got some real haunting images. Like, okay. Um, Bo is looking at a hole in the wall while the lights are out. But then he kind of lifts up and you see this figure laying on the wall, on the floor behind him. Like, it, it's got a good use of jump scares. It's not like real cheap. Right. Type, type deal. Um, <clears throat> but, right, all she kind of figures out what's really going on. So she believes that what's going on, it's um, an epith or a night witch. And then she tells a story of a poor man wanting his own home so badly that he resorts to stealing from people. But at some point, steals from the wrong person, which happens to be an epath or or night witch. And <clears throat> so when this man finally does get his home, this spirit moves in with him. And you can hear the sounds of spells being whispered through the walls and the appearance of ghosts. And they only plan on stopping once they consume the man. <laughs> and that's, that's basically what's going on with them. And... The rest of the movie, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's 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 kind of like a, there's a reveal that occurs toward the end that kind of gives you the reason why all this might be happening to them. Yeah. And it's pretty messed up. <laughs> it's pretty messed up. But um, overall, I just think it's a it's it's, it's a movie worth watching. Okay. Um, it's a good little suspense horror. Does well with the with the jump scares. Um. But it also shows you just like how what links people are willing to do to get a better life right? and how the effects of that can come, especially if you're dealing with demons and spiritual evil. (laughs) But uh, that is on Netflix and it's, it's definitely worth checking out. Okay. Let's see the next movie. I watched, let me in. Yeah. Which is a remake of a movie that came out two years prior. So <clears throat> I actually watched the original right before we started recording. So I don't have much notes, but I'll use it as like a comparison. Yep. So Let Me In came out October 1st or October 1st of 2010. So 10 years ago. Runtime of an hour and 56 minutes. Director is Matt Reeves. <clears throat> At a budget of 20 million and box office of 24.1 million. Uh, stars Cody Smith McPhee that plays Owen. You may recognize him from uh, the latter X Men movies, Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix. He played Nightcrawler. Yeah. Uh, Chloe Grace Moretz plays Abby. You may remember her from Kick Ass as Hit Girl. And then you have Elias Cotius as the policeman. Doesn't have a real name, they just have him listed as the policeman. 
uh, Richard Jenkins as Thomas, who's basically Abby's caretaker of sorts. <clears throat> uh, you follow a bullied 12-year-old boy who befriends a young female vampire <clears throat> who lives in secrecy with her guardian. So one, one thing about this remake in comparison or contrast to the original, they do change the names. Uh, in the original, the 12-year-old boy's name is Oscar instead of Owen, and the young girl, Vampire, is, is Ely instead of Abby. That's one difference. Um, <clears throat> this movie takes place in Los Alamos, New Mexico, March of 1983. So <clears throat> as the movie starts off, we're, we're welcomed with a, a scene of an ambulance racing down the road during the winter, led by two police cars. And then you hear the MT on dispatch calling in that they have a crime suspect who is in critical condition because he decided to pour acid on his face and he's having airway problems. But they're coming in, being escorted by police. And so <clears throat> we see the policeman enter the hospital, go to the patient's room, and he wants to talk to the, the patient to get information about what happened. But the nurse informs him that he's not able to talk. But he still asks for some time along with him, and he sits down a notepad and a pen, you know, gets to, to see if he can actually write down some information for him. But uh, the policeman gets called away for, for a phone call, and the information he receives on the phone call may be related to this person because he gets information about a daughter being present. But while he's getting this information, an alert goes off in the patient's room and the nurse runs, and then moments later you hear her scream. And the cop rushes to the room and sees that the patient had jumped out of the window. Oh, wow. So, and then we saw a shot of the notepad. And what's written on there is it just says, I'm sorry, Abby. But then we flash back two weeks earlier. And we're introduced to, to Owen, <clears throat> who lives with his mother. And we learn that his parents are going through a divorce. Here are the differences with the original. I think the parents are already divorced and living separately. Um, but Owen spends a lot of his time spying on his neighbors and talking to himself in the mirror, kind of. Uh, he's wearing like a plastic mask, holding a knife. Uh, you know, squeal a little girl. and Which basically we learned that's what the bullies are telling him and calling him little girl and teasing him and everything. Yeah, And so... Let's see. Uh, one of the scenes of him being bullied, he gets in the locker room during the gym, he gets uh, a wedgie. And the wedgie's so bad that he pees himself. Wow. So, um, <clears throat> and so he, he loves candy. He goes to the store and he buys candy, but then he also buys himself a pocket knife. Then he starts practicing on the tree outside. But that's when he meets Abby for the first time. Um, but then she kind of gives him a warning saying that um, she can never be his friend. And of course, he just she just responds saying that's just the way it is. And Owen's like, well, who says I want to be your friend anyway? Right. And, and it's pretty similar how it's displayed in the original as well. Um, and then we got some. It's the, you know, the caretaker in the original he kind of takes people out, kills them to give blood to the vampire. Right. Uh, but here in this movie, we show Thomas, which is the caretaker, literally sitting in the back seat of someone's car. And we just see a first person perspective. 
So this, this um, individual gets in the car and takes off driving. He literally sits up in the back wearing like dark clothing and a trash bag over his face with the eyes poked out. And the car stops at a train track. And then as the train's going across, he attacks and kills the person. Then he drives, drags the body out to the woods and hangs it up by the feet to drain blood out so he can collect and take home. The difference between this and the original, there's more wood covering in this remake compared to the original because it seemed like an okay. open, open wood area. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So <clears throat> he gets ready to go away with the um, with the blood, but then he trips. And he tries collecting it, but he's basically spilled all of it. And then a car approaches, and he he runs away. And so Abby chastises him for his mistake, and he remarks that you know maybe he's just getting sloppy or he's getting tired of doing what he's doing. All right. Yeah. So, <clears throat> and then from there, of course, Abby has to do it herself. And it's the having watched the original in this one. In the in the remake, I say that the the kills that occur are much more brutal, and they use some CGI. Yeah, and because um, there's a scene where she's literally climbing up a building, and you can tell it's not necessarily her, but um, but it still fits. Um, but uh, the remake is pretty spot on with the original. Um, of course, like I said before, the names have been changed. Um. Abby and Owen do become friends, and then Owen continues getting bullied. <clears throat> Let's see. There's even a point where the bully's friends think he's going too far, but um, you know, Abby tries to encourage him, tell him he needs to stand up for himself and fight back. And Owen's like, "It's three people." It's like, well, that means you got to hit harder, <laughs> you know, <laughs> make a point. But um, but I, I really did enjoy this movie. Even in the original, the original is subtitled, so be prepared for some reading. But yep. it's worth it's worth checking out. It's um, Swedish, yes. But um, but it's, I just found it interesting that you know the movie came out in two thousand eight, the original, and then two years later you got the American remake. Yep. Usually it takes about ten years, then they do that, but they yeah. Well, because the original was, you know, was such a hit as a foreign language film. It back when. Uh, Empire Magazine was a little more prominent, I guess is a good way to put it, more popular and everything. It was voted, they actually voted the original the the best movie of the year. Yeah. So, you know, it got a lot of praise there, then, you know, made the, then it, I remember it, it had gone around and hit all the festivals and everything, was winning a bunch of stuff. So, starts doing that, you know it's going <laughs> to, it's only going to be a matter of time. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> But yeah, Matt Reeves um, was one of the, like it was him and J.J. Abrams that started Felicity, you know, all mm-hmm. those many moons ago. Yeah. Uh, Matt Reeves actually directed the pilot. <laughs> okay. Um, way back when. Um, he also was the one that directed Cloverfield. Um, and then right after Cloverfield, he made Let Me In. And then he uh, directed Dawn of, uh, Dawn of Planet of the Apes and then War of Planet of the Apes. But he's like executive produced a bunch of stuff though, so a lot of TV. But yeah, Matt Reeves, good director. Yeah, uh, I'll say this ten-year-old movie is like my favorite movie that I've watched this year, even though really? it's old. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> yes. 
That's oh, all, awesome. man. I think that's all I have. Because okay. the other movie I'm not even going to talk about. I, I spoke to you earlier about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, oh, and the original came out in oh, December of 08. So I would have seen it here because we moved here. Should be uh, next next week. Yeah, next week will make it. Or I guess this week. This week would have made it uh, 10 years. Since, or not 10, 12 years. Yeah. 12 years since we've been in Nashville. So. All right. Uh, trailers. We've got The Midnight Sky starring George Clooney, um, uh, Felicity Jones, Kyle Chandler, David Oyelowo. Um, I'm never going to get that one right. That's okay. A uh, post-apocalyptic tale follows Augustine, a lonely scientist in the Arctic, as he races to stop Sully and her fellow astronauts from returning home to a mysterious global catastrophe. Coming to Netflix, December 23rd. Um, next is White Tiger. Also coming to Netflix. On January 22nd of next year. Uh, starring Priyanka Chopra. It's about the epic journey of a poor Indian driver who must use his wit and cunning to break free from servitude to his rich masters and rise to the top of the heap. So, the White Tiger. Here. Um, next is Stardust, with uh, which is a David Bowie um, documentary. Mm-hmm. Starring, nope, not not Stardust, that based on the book, uh, not the new game of Stardust. Um, it's going to chronicle the young David David Bowie's first visit to the U.S. in 1971, a trip that inspired the invention of his iconic alter ego Ziggy Stardust. Starring Jenna Malone, Johnny Flynn, Mark Maron. Um, um, it says 2020, so probably December. I'm sure it's going to try and do like an Oscar movie type of thing. So, right. Shocker. Because um, it's a biopic. Next, and then lastly is also another movie with no release date. Who knows? Um, called Songbird. Um, in 2022, a pandemic ravages the world and, and its cities, centering on a handful of people as they navigate the obstacles currently hindering society. Disease, uh, martial law, quarantine, and vigilantes. Starring Riverdale's KJ Appa, uh, Feel the Beats, Sophia Carson, Craig Robinson, Bradley Whitford, Alexandra Daddario, Paul Walter Hauser, Demi Moore, and uh, yeah. So, you know, just what everybody wants is a uh, pandemic movie, a fictitious right. pandemic movie. From Michael Bay, the producer of The Purge and A Quiet Place. So you know it's going to be... But directed by Adam Mason. So So maybe it's not too bad. But I like how they used Michael Bay as a producer of, not director of. Right. (laughs) So probably for the best. Can't use those Uh, direct credits. (laughs) Yep. Ten years ago, maybe. Yeah. Twenty years ago. For sure. All right, man. Uh, you got anything else? Um, there's another movie I think that just 
came out to VOD called Spell with um, yeah. Mari Hardwick and uh, Loretta Devine. So uh, apparently it's about, it says, while flying to his father's funeral in rural Appalachia, uh, an intense storm causes Marcus to lose control of the plane, carrying himself and his family. He soon awakens wounded, alone, and trapped in Miss Eloise's attic. Eloise claims she can nurse him back to health. With a voodoo figure she made from his blood and skin, unable to call for help, Marcus desperately tries to break free from her dark magic and shape, save his family from a sinister ritual before the rise of the blood moon. Seems like an updated version of uh, of, uh, of Misery. Yeah. <laughs> but, a, but a twist. Sure it's not Tyler Perry's the spell. <laughs> I don't know. Looking at the... Uh, <laughs> The the review scores five point two on IMDb, forty three percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and thirty eight Metacritic. Maybe. Never <laughs> know. Okay. Uh, um, may check it out for next week. Okay, that'd be cool. I'm probably gonna keep hitting my documentaries. I don't know. I don't know. I the past couple of days, I've not found anything I really wanted to watch. I yeah. still have one under my Reynolds I need to watch, but. It's just I've been trying to find something either cheesy or lighthearted because because I've been watching so many. It's just I need something a little more cheerful. <laughs> yeah, I thought about going back and watching some older stuff, too, that I might not have watched or hadn't seen in a while. Well, I came across like a bunch of old 80s horror movies I never watched because as a kid I was terrified. Yeah, I didn't want. Yeah, I didn't watch horror movies as a kid because I didn't. So I'm about going and watching those now that. I've seen them on Prime and some of the other places, so I might go check them out before they disappear again. Right. Because I saw Velocipaster showed up again on Prime. Of course it did. Of course. (laughs) You're welcome, everybody. Maybe (laughs) us watching it, they said, you know what? We need to put it back on Prime. Let's see, it was that, and what is it? You watch Cats, and I know How Did This Get Made also did an episode on Cats as well. Anyways, um, we better wrap it up. Gosh, the next week will be our first post-election uh, episode. So, um, so this is just us saying, "Hey, go out and vote." And I guess we'll talk to you next week. Sure. All right.